We're coming this morning to the end of Good Friday. So we have looked now at what is called the passion of Jesus Christ, that is sufferings on the cross, and he's died. So the last paragraph in Mark chapter 15, death is final, is it not? So we have this account, verse 42 to the end, Mark 15, verse 42. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath, the Sabbath was the Saturday, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went in to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he bought fine linen, took him down, and wrapped him in the linen, and he laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph observed where he was laid. What we have in these verses is the burial of Jesus Christ, or if you want it another way, the funeral of our Saviour. Now, we've had a number of funerals since lockdown, and because of the uh, restrictions, we have had to limit the numbers. But even then, we did have over 100 in the church in a funeral that took place on Tuesday. Here, there's less than that. This is the funeral of the King of Kings, a royal funeral. We did have that a few weeks ago, didn't we? The funeral of Prince Philip. There were less than 100 attending. I think there were about 30 in that. That's strange, isn't it? A royal funeral with only 30 people present. Now, Jesus of Nazareth is even greater royalty than our own royal family because he is the king, the king of all the kings of this world. And there weren't even 30 people present at his funeral. Just what we've got here, there's mention of Joseph of Arimathea and two Marys, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of Josie. So that's three presents. From the other Gospels, we're also told that there was somebody called Nicodemus. Now, you will know who Nicodemus was, most of you. He was a secret disciple at the start of John's Gospel, but by the death of Jesus Christ, he had become public, otherwise he wouldn't have attended. But what a strange royal funeral, to have so few mourners when it was such an august person that 
was being buried. Now, it was um, Joseph of Arimathea that organised the service. So he's the one mourner that I want us to look at this morning. So we'll look at Joseph of Arimathea, and then we'll look at the burial, the internment of Jesus Christ. Now, Joseph of Arimathea went to Pontius Pilate to ask for the death certificates. That's what you have to do. Uh, When someone dies, uh, you have to get the death certificates before the body is released uh, for burial or cremation in this country. And it was Joseph, uh, who we'll learn a bit about in a minute, who went to the governor to ask for the death certificates. Now, normally, when a person was crucified, they were just thrown into a common grave with all the other criminals. And normally, a person being crucified would take a long time to die. So that's why when Joseph goes to Pilate and asks if the body of Jesus could be released, Pilate is surprised because he hadn't expected Jesus to have died so soon. But hearing from the centurion that Jesus had indeed died, the body is released, and instead of being thrown into a public common grave, Jesus is given the privilege of being buried in a private grave. It belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. It had probably been constructed for him. Now, these graves, uh, they're not like our graves. Uh, For the funeral on Tuesday, uh, the grave was dug into uh, the soil and there was a mound of earth around it. It wasn't like that in... Uh, Jesus' day. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you will see sandstone cliffs around the place, and you will see uh, quite a few small caves uh, in these cliffs. And what Joseph of Arimathea had done, he had a private garden not far from where Jesus was crucified, and into one of those caves had been built uh, a private tomb that he was planning to use for himself. And Joseph is led of God to bury Jesus of Nazareth in this private grave. And then a big stone was put over it. We do not know where that was, right? In Jerusalem today, there is either the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where traditionally people think Jesus was buried, or there is the garden tomb, which is by the bus stop. Uh, That's where others think he might have been buried. But we just don't know. All we know was that it was a private garden, a private tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. And it wasn't Joseph that planned this. God had put it into Joseph's heart because many centuries before, God prophesied through Isaiah, they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich at his death. Joseph was a rich man. So it was God who was behind all of this. Now, let's look at Joseph of Arimathea and learn something about the gospel from him. Have you heard of him? According to legend... And I stress that legend. He 
brought a piece of the cross to Glastonbury. I don't think that's true, right? (laughs) What are the facts about Joseph of Arimathea? Well, he came from a small backwater town in Judea called Arimathea. And he was a rich man, as I've mentioned. And he was also a powerful man. He was a respected member of the Sanhedrin. That's the religious ruling council in Israel. It was the Sanhedrin who decided to execute Jesus Christ. But unlike the other members of the Sanhedrin, Joseph was a disciple. We can't have imagined him being present in the meeting uh, earlier on that day uh, that decided the fate of Jesus. I don't think he would have been there. But he had, at some point, either heard about Jesus or he'd heard himself, the Lord, preaching, and he had come to believe in Jesus. Uh, It is put in an interesting uh, way here. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea, verse 43, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, that describes a believer. The kingdom of God is the reign of God. And when Jesus Christ came, he said, the kingdom of God is come. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And God reigned in the coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is within you. And when Jesus cast out demons, the kingdom of God was come. The kingdom of Satan was defeated. When people believed in Jesus and they were saved from sin, the kingdom of the devil diminished and God reigned in people's hearts. So Joseph of Arimathea was a true Christian. But we're told in John that he was a secret disciple. No wonder. If he belonged to this powerful religious leadership, it would have been a career suicide for him to have come out in public as a follower of Jesus Christ. So he did follow Jesus, and he did it secretly. I wonder, is there anybody here this morning who is a real Christian you have put your trust in Jesus Christ when you heard the children's talk you in your heart said amen I can't make myself right with God I have put my complete trust in Jesus Christ to forgive and cleanse me of my sin I am following him, but like Joseph, I haven't made that known. I haven't come out. In Iran, there are many believers who haven't, for example, been baptized in public because it's just too risky. Uh, They sometimes go over to Turkey to do mass baptisms. And a number of Iranians will be baptized over here. So we mustn't be too hard on people who sometimes have to keep quiet about their faith. 
listen to J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle was the Bishop of Liverpool, 19th century evangelical, right? He was strong. But he said this, let us take comfort in the thought that there are true Christians in this world of whom we know nothing and in places where we should not expect to find them. The Lord has many hidden ones in the church. The words of God to Elijah should not be forgotten. Yet, Elijah thought he was the only one left. And sometimes we think that, those of us who are Christians here this morning, we are the only ones left. But no, God said to Elijah, I have left me 7,000 in Israel. I can remember when I was in Aberystwyth, there were people there I knew as students. I didn't realize they were Christians. But now they are prominent ministers. Praise God for that. But, and this is a big but, you can't remain a secret disciple for long. Do you, do you know what Christianity is? It's life. Uh, Henry Schuylkill described it like this. It's the life of God in the soul. And even if you can't remember when you became a Christian, at some point, if there's life in you, if you've been born of the Spirit, that life will come out, yeah? I remember Douglas Kelly putting it like this. Jesus Christ is in our hearts. What a wonderful change came over me when Jesus came into my heart. Jesus Christ was in the hearts of Joseph of Arimathea by his spirits. And what Jesus Christ wants, he wants out. And so if we are true Christians, even if for the time being we are secrets about our faith, in the end, that life of Christ will come out. Because that's the tendency of life. Life must force itself out. And Joseph of Arimathea eventually comes out. Isn't it strange? The term coming out today uh, is used now uh, to describe coming out in public to uh, condone behavior that the Bible clearly condemns. Isn't that interesting? Whereas we who are Christians, we are just so afraid, aren't we? Uh, it is said in another gospel that it was for fear of the Jews that Joseph didn't come out. And we can be like him. We can be just afraid, afraid of what people might say if they realize that we were a Christian. But, oh, if people are coming out in vast numbers today to condone unrighteousness, how much more should we come out for the righteous one? Don't you agree? Are you still in the closet as a Christian? Or are you going to follow Joseph's example and come out for Jesus? Come out. It was in university, as you know, I became a Christian. And it wasn't easy. <laughs> I've never been cool. <laughs> but becoming a Christian obviously meant that I would never ever be cool. 
Is, is that stopping some of you from coming out? You're afraid of what your friends might say, maybe in school, maybe in college. This craving to be the in crowd, you're not going to be that if you come out as a Christian. Even the word Christian was first used as a nickname. We're told that in the book of Acts. Or if you're older, it's often when you have to start work, when you have to settle down. And it's not the fear of being uncool this time. It's the fear of losing respectability. What will people think of me in my workplace if I come out as a Christian? Will I lose those promotion opportunities? Will people cold shoulder me? But my friends, in the end, there's got to be a stigma for following Christ. This is not me. This is what Jesus Christ said. We came across these words in Mark's gospel. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. For what will it profit a man or a woman or a boy or a girl if he gains the respect of the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? In the end, my friends, what's the point of gaining respectability? It's only for a time. It's my soul that matters more than anything. That's what we've been remembering in all these funerals. The soul goes on forever. Do you know where your soul is heading? Are you right in your soul this morning? What's coolness or respectability got to do with it? It's the soul that counts. Didn't we sing? Shamed of Jesus? Yes, I may. When I've no guilt to wash away, no tear to wipe, no good to crave, no fears to quell, no soul to save. That's the most important thing, isn't it? The salvation of our immortal souls. Now, what forced Joseph to come out of the closet, as it were? It was the death of Jesus Christ that was the catalyst for Joseph of Arimathea to come out. Spurgeon, it is the death. Is it not a remarkable thing that all the life of Christ did not draw out an open confession from Joseph? Our Lord's miracles, his amazing sermons, his glorious life of holiness and goodness and kindness, all may have helped to build Joseph in his secret faith, but it had no effect to bring him out. It was the shameful death of the cross that had greater power over Joseph than all the beauty of Christ's life. And my friends, that's what will bring you and me out to be more bold for Jesus Christ than anything else. His death, as C.T. Studd put it, this is the gospel, my friend. If Jesus Christ be God, do you believe that? 
and he died for me to save my soul, to take the punishment for my sins, to taste hell for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Isn't that the case? Simple mathematics. Ashamed of Jesus, of my God, who purchased me with his own blood, of him to retrieve my loss, despised the shame, endured the cross. He did that for you. Ashamed of Jesus, that dear friend, of whom my hopes of heaven depend. No, when I blush, be this my shame, that I no more revere his name. And even those of us who have come out, we should be blushing this morning when we realize how little we delight ourselves in his cross. The Apostle Paul, that greatest of preachers in the New Testament, he said, I glory in the cross of Jesus Christ. The man couldn't get over the cross. Every time he woke up, I can imagine him just astounded that another day had been given to him, another opportunity to witness to that gracious act that Jesus undertook on our behalf on the cross. So yes, it's possible to be a secret disciple. I don't want people to think that it's our coming out that saves us. No, it's not. It's Christ that saves. And when we trust in Christ, but that's the life of Christ coming in, and eventually we will come out. We will. If you confess with your mouth, said Paul in Romans, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Listen. Jesus will not put you to shame if you believe in him. Who cares about what people think about us in the end? What does he think? What does my Jesus have to say? That's all that matters. Fear him. Fear him. And you will have no one else to fear. Now, let's look at the burial. Let's, let's look at this committal. Uh, somebody asked me the other day, didn't all these funerals weary me? We've had so many since lockdown. And yes, the grief of losing another dear brother or sister is wearying. But you know what? I count it my greatest privilege as a minister to conduct, whether it's a burial or a cremation, a Christian funeral. I find there's nothing that energizes one more than such a funeral. And this is true of the funeral of Jesus Christ. Let's stand with these three or four or five, because they may have been others, at his gravesite. What do we see here. We see here something that's at the very heart of the gospel. It may surprise you. Isn't the cross 
the message? Yes. But the cross is nothing without the fact that Jesus was buried. Isn't the resurrection the message? Yes, of course it is. But there can be no resurrection unless a person has died, can there? So in the Apostles' Creed, one of the earliest creeds saying what we believe in, the basics, it puts it like this, he was crucified, dead and buried. The burial of Jesus is uh, the very heart of the gospel. Why? Why? Do you know what it proves? When the body of Jesus went into that tomb, and when the stone was put in place, it proved that he was a real man. Death is the common uh, denominator of human experience. Nothing proclaims the emptiness of our human condition more powerfully than a corpse. Dust we are, and to the dust we will return. So when Joseph of Arimathea took the body of Jesus down from the cross, he was holding the dust of the earth. We're just dust in the end. Dust. Just as I was trying to dust the pulpit here. That's what we're going to be one day. Dust. Puts us in our place, doesn't it? I'm preaching to people who will one day be dust. You're hearing a person who will one day be dust. I don't know everybody here, but I know one thing about every one of you and myself. One day, we will die. One day, it will be our funeral. Death proves that Jesus was one of us. And then, this is the glorious thing. This is what's so energizing about the death of Jesus Christ. It proves that what he did on the cross was successful. Spurgeon again. This is an essential point. For if Jesus did not die, he has made no atonement for sin. The atonement is the sacrifice of Jesus, making us right with God, a holy God, forgiving unholy sinners on account of Jesus Christ. If he died not, then he rose not, and if he rose not, then your faith is vain. It's empty. You are yet in your sin. But because Jesus died, he'd paid the debts. And God the Father had accepted the payments. And there is forgiveness for you and me. Jesus, in his death, was victorious over all our enemies. Sin, the devil who brought in all of this. Death, which was the consequence of it. And hell, which is the eternal consequence all of that, Jesus conquered. And the fact that he died proved it. I think there's a significance in the fact that it was in a garden that he was buried. 
Do you see the significance of that this morning? How did death come into the world and sin and all the other horrible things, including this virus? It was because of something that happened in a garden. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, in a garden, disobeyed God and death and the curse came upon them. And now it was in a garden that the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, was victorious over death. Uh, F.B. Mayer, in a garden man fell, in a garden he was redeemed. The death of Christ has sown our world with the flowers of peace and joy and blessedness. How energizing that is. In the garden of Eden, because of death, sweat and weeds and toil became our lots. Because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, those things are overturned. It is now flowers. It is now blessing. It is now life that has come. That's energizing, isn't it? I've said this time and time again, and I'll say it again this morning. I count it the greatest privilege in the world. I know of no greater job satisfaction than this, than to stand before an open tomb and say, declare death. You're swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We're on the victory side, because Christ conquered death. We are more than conquerors. That's why a Christian's funeral is different. Do you know what death is? For the Christian, and I hope this is you, it's falling asleep. Falling asleep. Now, I don't want to belittle the horribleness of the process of dying. It is an enemy. But what a blessing to fall asleep in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if they still do them. Do they still do electric blankets? When I was a boy, uh, we didn't have central heating uh, in the first house we lived in, but we had electric blankets to warm the bed up in the middle of winter, and there was nothing quite as cosy as going in and snuggling in a warm bed on a cold winter's night. Jesus Christ is the last Adam, right? Either we're in the first Adam or we've come and trusted in Jesus Christ. And he now is our representative. So he has gone ahead of us. So do you know what he's done? He has died the death that we will never have to die, that eternal death. And he's even gone into the grave for us. He's warmed the bed for us. Think about that. He's warmed our deathbed. 
I've been at deathbeds, my friends, where believers who have, for a lot of their lives, been anxious about dying, I've been at their deathbeds and they've had a peace because Jesus Christ has warmed the bed for them, because Jesus Christ is their pillow now when dying, and he can be yours as well. I know of no greater gospel than this, a gospel that gives a hope, a hope in death and a hope in life as a result. Because if you know how to die, you know how to live. How? Let me come to a conclusion. Joseph of Arimathea's grave wasn't built for Jesus. It was another person's grave. Now, can you see the significance of that? Jesus was buried in another person's grave because he died on the cross, not for his own sin, but for others' sins. You see this pattern? As we sang, and was it for my sin? It's even more personal, isn't it? It's not just for other people's sins. It was for my sin that Jesus suffered. I've come to trust in him for my salvation. I've transferred my sins on his head, that spotless lamb of God. When moved by his all-powerful love, he came to earth below. For in his death, our death died with him on the tree. Our death died with him. It was in your grave, as it were, that he was put. In my grave. On the cross, he died for our sins. In his burial, he was buried for us. So that we don't have to fear the grave. Well, I must come to a conclusion here. I, I just want all of us to have this hope, you know? That sure and certain hope. Do you have it? As we consider this royal funeral, unlike any other funeral, even royal funerals we witnessed recently, are you Christ? That's all that matters. Even if you're a secret disciple, are you completely trusting in Jesus Christ. Is all your hope built on Jesus Christ? Now, if that's the case, then you can't be secret for long, can you really? You can't be. Not when you've considered uh, the big things we've looked at this morning. In the end, you've got to come out. I want to finish by reading one of my favourites uh, deathbed uh, descriptions. It's fictional, but I think a number of believers can say amen to this. It's towards the end of the second half of uh, second parts of Pilgrim's Progress, and it's Mr. Standfast. Mr. Standfast. It's an old-fashioned name, I know, and death is likened to a river. Right? That's a good comparison the river of death, and he is dying. And so he goes into the river and he says, this river has been a terror to many. Yea, the thoughts of it also have often frighted me. But now methinks I stand easy. That's Jesus warming 
the river, as it were. My foot is fixed upon that upon which the feet of the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant stood while Israel went over this Jordan. The waters indeed are to the palate bitter and to the stomach cold. The process of dying is going to be horrible. Yet the thought of what I'm going to and of the conduct that waits for me on the other side doth lie as a glowing coal at my heart. I see myself now at the end of my journey. My toilsome days are ended. (laughs) That's good, it'll be over one day. I'm going now to see that head that was crowned with thorns and that face that was spat upon for me. I formerly lived by hearsay and faith, but now I go where I shall live by sight and shall be with him in whose company I delight myself. I have loved to hear my Lord spoken of, and wherever I have seen the print of his shoe in the earth, there I have coveted to set my foot to. His voice to me has been most sweet. His face I have more desired than they that have more more desired the light of the sun. His word I did use to gather for my food, and he has helped me, and I have kept uh, uh, his word. Uh, Oh, my friends, some of us, Uh, from this fellowship they're already there now will you be there one day will you be will i be may we learn from this royal funeral for his namesake